Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It is Sunday, August 29th, and I'm one of your rotating hosts, Scott Pianowski. In the teeth of draft season, it's about time we brought this guy in. One of the most tenured people in the fantasy industry. He's smart. He's got a great Twitter handle. He's reliable. He's a name you can trust. The name you need in the middle of draft season. Right before you get into that big money draft, I want you to listen to my friend Pat Doherty, Roto Pat on Twitter, and one of the stalwarts over at NBC Sports Edge. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Scott. Nice introduction. Uh, it's weird to hear the word tenured. You know, I was used to for years, like being one of the whiz kids and, you know, over at NBC when I was like 23, 24. And you know, now I'm like this hardened, wizened veteran, you know, like way past like my career arc, like the aging curve is not, uh, I need to, you know, I need to be one of those players who like well exceeds my, like my aging curve. And, uh, Knock on wood, it's it's going well so far. Well, I insisted for the slot, we have somebody at least on their second fantasy contract. I didn't want anybody on a rookie <laughs> deal. So I was uh, the rare, yeah. I'm on my I, maybe my third contract by now. Uh, so we're, we're both multi kind. We've got this figured out. We're we're deep deep into our, uh, you know, we're on like our fifth or sixth contract at this point. Well, they should sign you to a lifetime contract. And you know, you should do a uh, fantasy gamer out there. You should sign Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Fantasy to a lifetime contract. Or at least, hey, you want to go one season year to year? That's fine. Yahoo Fantasy is ready to go. Get into your new leagues, get into your existing leagues, get your college buddies together, whatever you want to do. And we want you to know that we have a product this year called Yahoo Fantasy Plus. It's going to save you time. It's going to help you make better decisions. It's going to make you a better fantasy player. And you can get a free trial if you go over to yahoo.com slash fantasy football. So uh, go grab a team, maybe commissioner a team if you're feeling ambitious and give Yahoo Fantasy Plus a try. I, I use it for baseball. And it's great. It saves you a ton of time and it makes better decisions easy and you can try it for free. So what's better than that? We want you in the Yahoo family in 2021. And so, Pat, we had today football, right? Guys get hurt, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm not going to be glib about that. It's it's the livelihood of these players and it, it's always tough when a major I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but you know, when a fantasy running back who was going in the second or third round or the fourth round, whatever it is, gets hurt, we know we have a lot to talk about. So the Ravens lost J.K. Dobbins this weekend, knee injury. It's going to be a season under. Obviously, that bumps up Gus Edwards. So let's, let's just start with that. Um, what is your new appraisal, appraisal, easy for me to say, of the Baltimore backfield? Yeah, I mean, what this, like you said, such a sad injury because like, we don't want anyone to get hurt. Us with like an ascendant player, you know, like a guy who like checked all like the breakout boxes, you know, lived up to his pre-draft billing as a rookie, closed the year strong, 
you know, had a great off season, just was like all there for JK Dobbins and just the, the, the kind of injury that hurts the most. But, you know, the, we fantasy so zero RB drafters loved Gus Edwards, but like fantasy drafters in general didn't like Gus Edwards as much as the Ravens, but we know the Ravens love Gus Edwards and they gave him the extension earlier this off season. And like my knee jerk reaction was basically sliding Gus in only a few slots lower than I had JK Dobbins. Basically like Gus like parked in like that RB 18 to 20 range where, with Dobbins, I was kind of RB 16 to 18. And he's the kind of guy like it's kind of system system fit where he can just like show up. And with Lamar Jackson and that offensive line, like paving lanes, basically like if, if Gus Edwards can stay healthy, he feels like to me, like almost like a fail safe RB two. And it, it's crazy to say when it's a guy, you know, who's like an injury replacement, basically like to have that much confidence, but it just feels like this can't go wrong. I mean, famous last words, but Gus Edwards feels like kind of a can't go wrong insurance back. And you could almost slot him right into where he had JK up. Not quite as high. We know he probably doesn't have that upside, especially because uh, not nearly as good of a pass catcher as JK Dobbins, but it does feel almost like that rare, like one for one replacement. So it sounds like a, you're saying a high teens ranking at the running back position for Edwards. That's about where you're at. Yeah. Like very solid RB two. I wouldn't like just above low end RB two. So yeah, like, like that RB 18 to 20 range, maybe I'll move him around a little bit there, but I, I think so like one day I'll have him RB 18, one day I'll have him RB 20, but I think he feels like very parked in that range to me. Yeah, it sounds copacetic to what the Yahoo staff did. Two of my colleagues had him at RB 18. I think it was Dalton had him there. I have him at RB 20, Gus Edwards. Andy, I think I might have had him at RB 23 and then Matt Harmon, our other guy, rounding up the group at RB 21. So it's a pretty tight you know, diversion of you know, the distribution, I should say, of ranks. I think we're all kind of in lockstep on Edwards. And you know, as you said, he's not he hasn't been used in the passing game. So I don't think there's a monster upside for Edwards. I don't think there's like some world where he has like the Mark Ingram season from a couple of years ago, but we know this team likes to run the ball. They will give a lot of those carries to running backs. Of course, Lamar Jackson will gobble up some of them as well. So Edwards, you mentioned zero RB and Edwards. And I, I guess people drafted him earlier this summer thinking some standalone value, but he was more of a maybe a pick of what could go right. You know, what if something goes wrong with the player in front of him? Now I have to ask you, are you interested in Tyson Williams, undrafted, second year? He's had a, a pretty good camp. Justice Hill, who I, once upon a time I was high on, it feels like it was 17 years ago, probably just a couple of years ago. Uh, are you going to move them up in your queue? Do you see them as good late-round picks? Do you have any interest in the speculation part of this backfield? I, I have less interest when I found out like kind of how serious the Ravens were about Tyson Williams. And I guess that uncertainty is what creates value. Yeah, it seemed like it was going to be like nice and tidy with Justice Hill. It was like, okay, he's immediately the change of pace back. Uh, he's going to have like guaranteed weekly touches. But Tyson Williams' name had been coming up the past week or two. You know, last night, like it kind of indications the Ravens are giving that they might view him like like as clearly ahead of Justice Hill. And now like uh, I, I'm not like such a bold drafter. Like I'm going to like take advantage of that uncertainty. And now it just kind of makes me want to stay away but Tyson Williams is kind of a strange profile. He's like a second year undrafted free agent. He's already 25. Like he's very old. Some a situation where I wish maybe I need to do more investigation on Tyson Williams. Like I've never seen him play it down a football. I never saw him play in the SEC. I might still, if you know, you're making me pick, I'll probably pick Justice Hill still. I have to deal with the years of like change of pace and pass catching hype for him. Although maybe it should tell us something that he never forced his way into that role really. And, uh, 
that we should be more focused on Tyson Williams. But that's one where like, I feel like in a day or two, I'll probably be like, oh yeah, for sure. I'm all in on Justice Hill or I'm all in on Tyson Williams, but I still kind of like find myself in information gathering mode and like unwilling to take a stand. And the other thing that complicates this is we're late in the summer. Teams are going to be finalizing their rosters and there's going to be talented running backs who get cut. Right. We just saw the Rams a few days ago. They made a trade to get Sony Michelle to beef up their running back room. So, you know, Todd Gurley's unsigned. There's been some, you know, some people have thrown some spaghetti against the wall, see if it sticks. Maybe Todd Gurley could make a phone call to the Ravens or vice versa and something could happen there. The bottom line is there's going to be, I'm sure every team will tell you, look, we're going to audit the cuts. We're going to look at who's available and who can help our team. They're not going to tell us anything right now. They can't tamper with the players anyway. But somebody interesting is going to be cut. And I just have a feeling the Ravens are going to add somebody. Even if it's just to kick the tires, you know, he might be in the in the city for 72 hours and they said, no, okay, we don't we don't want to keep him. But I feel like somebody, and I can't tell you who, maybe the Eagles cut Boston Scott or something. And, and then Baltimore's like, well, let's see what we like, how we feel about Boston Scott when he's in our in our purple, you know. So I, I feel that complicates this matter as well. Yeah, and like especially because I'm circling back in my head, my own Justice Hill point, where like they're probably not very satisfied with this their backup situation now because Justice Hill, yeah, I mean, we've talked about him for years, and like he just he can never force the issue, so it would stand to reason maybe uh, that there's a reason for that. And the Ravens are, even, you know, they're kind of publicly cooling on him by like promoting Tyson Williams, but maybe they're even more cool on him than we think and know. And like I would, yeah, not be surprised at all if they're one of the people like, like trolling that running back free agent market and. Because yeah, it's not a very, it's not a great situation. Even though we know they love Gus Edwards, it's not like a great situation probably when Gus Edwards is suddenly someone you're going to have to rely on for like 16 to 18 weekly carries and uh, definitely a situation that looks like it could use a, a, a talent infusion. Yeah, I think they would like probably Gus Edwards to be a tag team partner with somebody, even if he's the the lead tag team guy or not, you know, the first one into the ring, so to speak. I get the idea they would like somebody to share that workload with him. So so this news breaks on Saturday night. The injury to Dobbins comes out. Then Sunday we find out that it's a season ender. And then, you know, Twitter just goes hog wild with, okay, Gus Edwards, victory lap, Twitter. That was that was fun. You know, and then the people are like, oh, you shouldn't have drafted J.K. Dobbins anyway, and blah, blah, blah. So it just makes me think, for one thing, I, I hate victory lap Twitter. I'm like, you know, cranky. I hate victory lap Twitter guy. Which, <laughs> I do you know, too. <laughs> I, I, I get some backlash against that. And I, and I guess it's probably fair and merited. But what I want to ask you, Pat, is that it opens to me up the idea that, look, a lot of people who are listening have not drafted yet, or maybe they still have their main league or money league coming. I mean, there's a lot of drafts still to come. We're right in the middle of it. And I'm just curious if you're, I feel like there's three different paths for running backs, okay, as far as your roster build. You can go robust RB, but you're taking two early ones. That's what I consider robust RB anyway. You can go with the anchor strategy where you get one guy you can hang your hat on, and then you're really pounding the other positions. And of course, there's zero RB where you don't take run, you ignore the running back position and you try to get a bunch of guys who you think, you know, some of them have to be playable right away, but you're trying to play the long game. You're hoping that your running back room will be a lot stronger as the chaos of the NFL season kicks in. Now, now granted, every, no matter what running back style you choose, you're still taking lottery tickets. You're still fortifying your bench with a lot of different running backs. I think most people understand that. And I always used to get frustrated when some people would posit that, oh, I'll go zero RB and I'll be the only person stockpiling lottery tickets or I'll be the only person picking these guys up on waivers. It doesn't work like that in competitive league. But anyway, the bottom line is there's three paths. You're in the middle of it right now, Pat. You're in the that ambiguous point where there's three doors in front of you. You got to go robust RB. You got to go hero RB or anchor RB or you're going to go zero RB. 
I know it all depends. I have to see what's available when I pick. But which of the three paths is Pat Doherty most likely to employ in your remaining drafts? Well, yeah, first off, you know, talking about Victory Lab Twitter, just obviously this random event that happened this weekend fully justifies everything I've been doing all summer. It has nothing to do with, you know, it's like the FedEx field turf. It actually did have nothing to do with the FedEx field. I was like, how upset would you be to lose a running back in the preseason at FedEx field? Like the worst turf, like the history of the NFL. I guess maybe they can rest easy knowing it wasn't actually the turf. It was a hit, but I would never play my players on FedEx field. Well, that's not what Big Turf wants you to believe. So I'm, you know. <laughs> true. Uh, but you you broke down the many different approaches perfectly. Like you said, of course, it varies from draft to draft. Because we know the one true strategy, of course, is find value. And so if you're in a room that's just hammering receivers constantly, you take the running back. If you're in a room that's all running backs, the first time you take the receiver. But in general – I find myself this year being kind of most years, frankly, being like an anchor RB guy. And I just feel like you have, I feel like you cannot come away from like the top 24 this year without at least run, one running back. Cause I think the top 24, the RB one and two tiers are a little deeper than they had been the past few years. But like the drop off, the drop off just gets more sheer every year. It seems like every year there's one or two fewer teams using a true bell cow. There's one or two more teams, not just using two running backs, but kind of all the way up to three. And like when you get just in that RB 24 to 30 range, it's like you need to be really certain like it's Javante Williams over Melvin Gordon, or you need to be really certain it's Raheem Mostert over Trey Sermon. And I feel like the questions just get bigger or bigger than ever this year, kind of post like the RB one and two tiers where it's just basically a free for all from like RB three on. And so just, I find myself by coming away without a, a legit like top 18 running back. I feel like I have only five or six flyers and I have almost no guaranteed workload. And I, I just do not feel comfortable with, I'm not going to force like two running backs, like my first three or four picks, but I do not feel comfortable if I come away from those first four rounds without at least one running back. Cause I just feel like more than I'm flying more blind than ever beyond the top 24 this year. You know, we did a recent mock draft with the people from NBC Sports Edge and some friends of the NBC Sports Edge family. And in that draft, I had the two pick. Started with Cook, which I think a lot of people would do. I, I thought about Zeke, but I took Cook. And the second round, Antonio Gibson was available to me when it swung back. And I just, I'm a big Gibson fan. I decided to try a robust running back build, and I ended up hating my receivers. I think it's important, <laughs> at least in a managed league for me. I want to have receivers who start themselves. I don't want to be chasing, oh, is this the week that McCole Hardman you know, gets nine targets <laughs> from the Chiefs or something like that? I don't, I don't want to play that guessing game. Is this, is this the week I can trust Marquez Callaway, who I, coincidentally I drafted in that in that draft? But And uh, anytime you guys want to delete that league, I know you said you're not playing it out, but as I see it on my <laughs> Yahoo feed, I'm just worried you're going to make me take that lousy team and and put it to market against you know against C.D. Carter and Andy Behrens and, and you know all, all the other strong people in that room. But I've, I've tried – why do we get in all these best ball drafts? Why do we do all these magazine drafts? Why do we do this NBC Edge mock draft? Because you want to try different strategies. And so I've drafted this summer robust. I've drafted zero RB and I've drafted hero RB or anchor RB. And I like my anchor rosters and my zero RB even rosters a lot more than the hero because I, I don't think wide receivers as deep as people think. I think you, there's a ton of, yeah, like I like Jacoby Myers to like get like that quiet 850 or 900 yards. I don't think Jacoby Myers is going to blow up your league and be a league winner. I think he's a perfectly good wide receiver for, for what he is. He can't finish it in the top 10 at receiver. I don't think that's possible. 
Where at running back, you can always get lucky in the sense that if you find somebody who just comes into volume, he'll be projectable. You can start him every week as a running back two or a flex. I think it's a lot harder to find that in a receiver. So for me, I agree with you. I think you need somebody to hang your hat on, but I'm taking just one guy. And if, if basically for me, it's really simple. In the first round, if I see a running back I like and I'm not forcing it, I'm not trying to ask somebody to go above their ADP to bite off more than they can chew. I'll take that player and then just pound receiver, pound receiver, maybe a tight end if it makes sense. If I don't get that in the first round, well, okay, maybe I'll get Eckler in the second round. By the way, doing a great show with uh, Liz Loza this year. I hope you, um, Austin Eckler, I'm going to rank him proactively all year because he's friends with Liz and they're doing a great show together and I can't help it. I'm an Austin Eckler fan. Plus he might catch 97 passes, which is pretty good too. I want one running back and one running back only in the first two rounds. And then I think I want to have the best receiver room. I want my receiver room to be the envy of the league. Now, again, if I have Denny Carter in the league, that's not going to happen because he refuses to exist the running back position. He just won't take them. But to me, I'm looking at a lot of builds. They're receiver heavy. I just want that one back to hang my hat on. I think I agree with everything you said there. My ideal outcome, basically every draft in the first four rounds is I want one running back. And I want three receivers. And I think you made a great point about receiver this year. We know receivers always the deepest, but this is not the deepest receiver has been where some recent years, I feel like there's been a legit top 36, like no matter what, like I know that these one through 36, like if they stay healthy, will at least be a wide receiver three. Whereas this year, I feel like the drop off just starts a little earlier than usual and just the kind of more questions in that back end wide receiver three range, like, you know, which Bengals wide receiver do I want to draft? Which 49ers wide receiver do I want to draft? Like, which Steelers second wide receiver do I trust the most? And Jaguars. I like, I just feel like that one through 36, like kind of consensus top 36, they're not all like safe wide receiver threes this year where there's just, we know there's going to be value. We know there's going to be like huge successes, even in like that wide receiver 40 to 50 range. But I just feel like more uncertainty and like the the one through 36 range than usual this year. I'll give our listeners one more takeaway about my receivers. I, I know this ostensibly started as a running back discussion, but you can't discuss any position without how it spills over to the other positions. I love taking receivers who have already proven that they're good, who are in narrow passing games, narrow distribution trees, narrow usage tree, use whatever terminology you want. I'm thinking the Rams guys, I'm thinking the Seahawks guys, I'm thinking the Vikings guys where there aren't, and we'll get to the Vikings in a minute because they had a major injury this weekend too. But Seattle, you know when they're throwing the ball, it's almost always to Metcalf or Lockett. And, and they're both great players. I can give them a pass for how they ended the season last year. They have Shane Waldron coming over. Schottenheimer's out of town. I think everybody's excited about that. Minnesota, the ball, not a lot of places for the ball to go. I know there's a little bit of nebulous nature to the Rams that you know, maybe people think, hey, we might be a multi-feed. Maybe Van Jefferson steps up. Deshaun Jackson's there. They drafted... Tutu Atwell, you know, all of 105 pounds, whatever he is. But they drafted, I, I think it's a little heavier than that. Not much. Not but, much. <laughs> um, but I think Woods and and, uh, and uh, Cup are going to be certainly the the featured guys there. So those are th- three or four teams, I guess three teams that I'm really looking at because I think that distribution is very narrow. Are you on board with that idea? I am. And like you said, I think two is like the sweet spot where if it's one, you don't want a guy who can just get bracketed, mm-hmm. like enveloped by opposing defenses. But two is like the sweet spot where you're not guessing. Like, you know, the Steelers and Bengals, like, are we just going to be guessing? I mean, this is a kind of hard decision you have to make as a fantasy manager, of course. Like, you have to decide where you think the value is in some of these crowded situations. But yeah, two is just like the sweet spot because you know no matter what, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are getting the numbers. You know no matter what, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are. Maybe you don't know any given week. But like high floor, 
uh, easy path to ceiling. Just, yeah, you want as few variables as possible. And the, you, those situation name just very, very few variables and lots of safe points, I guess. Let's touch on, I, I made an allusion to the Minnesota passing game and I was excited about Jefferson and Thielen and, and maybe Irv Smith season three breakout, but uh, Smith is on hold right now. He's going to have meniscus surgery, not going to be ready for the start of the season. It's not clear when he might be available to come back. It could be a multiple month absence. So if I was walking to a draft, as you listen to this pod, I think Smith would probably be undraftable for me. What's the spillover for the Minnesota passing game as you see it? And if somebody was targeting Smith, where they went, you know, just outside that top 10, probably anywhere from tight end 11 to 15. Are there any Rotopat specials who may fall into that? You know, who, who are we replacing as our medium round tight end? Some people might say, don't even do that. Some people say, hey, look, go big or go really, really late. I don't know if you were in on Irv Smith before he got hurt, but uh, give me a Minnesota overview and let's try to give some people some ideas now that Irv Smith isn't anywhere near as draftable. I was going to say, I'll start with the second, because okay. that's just where my thought was. Sure. Like, I was kind of in on Irv Smith, where I'm finding my preferred approach at tight end this year. So a lot of people do not like using two roster spots on tight end. But I think with receiver, receiver ADPs can like feel so overpriced to me that I find like by like the final like four or five rounds of my draft, you know, you're already in like the wide receiver 60 to 70 range. Like I'm feeling like, like there's very few like guaranteed targets, so to speak. Is I'm finding a tight end to be like really soft, where you're getting guys kind of like on that tight end one two periphery, uh, guys with higher target floors than a lot of the receivers remaining, say like rounds like 12 through 16. So I've kind of found myself a lot this year taking someone in like that tight end nine to 12 range, which was where Irv Smith was, and then always kind of getting someone in like that tight end 18 to 24 range. Just because I feel like there's more potential targets there than there are. Because like the, the concept of like a late round receiver is like almost dead because they just get hammered. They just get cleaned out. So I know a lot of people do not like using two picks on like the onesie position of tight end. But you know, like flex spots are on the rise in every league. I don't think you're throwing away a pick on like a second tight end the way you would have been in the past. So I love getting someone like that 9 to 12 range, whether like Noah Fant, formerly Irv Smith, maybe Tyler Higby, or big Bob Tunyon, and then kind of going down to like that 18 to 24 range. And sometimes Evan Ingram falls that far. Cole Komet with the Bears, who they're really trying to get involved down the stretch last year. Hunter Henry, who people just seem to have like totally forgotten he exists. Um, even Adam Troutman after like the disappointing preseason. So it's just kind of, I'm much more open to drafting two tight ends than I used to be. And even without Irv Smith, I still feel like like that tight end one two borderline. There's a lot of potential value there, and just like taking a target shot in like that 18 to 24 range instead of just taking like my seventh receiver who might get two to three weekly targets. Do you think the absence of Smith has any notable effect on Cousins, on Jefferson, on Thielen, or are you just going to business as usual for those guys? I think business as usual, and th- like. Uh, like definitely shores up the flow. Like are, we, are people worried about Justin Jefferson regression? I don't even really know what like the Justin Jefferson narrative is, but maybe if you were worried about some like second year regression, this definitely probably shores up that target floor. The ceiling doesn't change. Uh, someone who's already established like that stratospheric ceiling. It doesn't change Justin Jefferson's ceiling odds, but maybe too, like uh, definitely like firms up Adam Thielen's floor, who you know, a big time touchdown regression candidate, but, Maybe this increases the odds. Thielen gets back to double-digit touchdowns this year. Uh, 
Tyler Conklin you know, used to be like kind of like a what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say a Rotoviz superstar. I kind of like like the people really in the fantasy weeds have loved Tyler Conklin for a long time. He was 26. He's never had a 200 yard season in his career. I, I, I could see him like as a post like beyond the top 24 tight ends flyers, but I won't really buy into any Tyler Conklin cases. And I think, yeah, really the only, it just sol- even further solidifies what was already a really high floor for both Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. The words of Patrick Doherty of NBC Sports Edge are yesterday on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Scott Pianowski. Okay, let's take a detour. Let's make a segue. Let's check out what's going on in Indianapolis where you, you start you start to wonder if maybe the Colts just, you know, under a bad sign this year, right? I mean, the early injuries to the offensive line, although it sounds like they, they may have some of their pieces back before the season. We're still not sure exactly where Carson Wentz is that if he'll start opening day, and it seems like even though this probably isn't the preference, that Jacob Eason looks like by default the starter because there's other injury attrition there. We know that Jonathan Taylor, you know, last year, kind of an uneven year, but he got going late in the season. But again, I don't know that his quarterback's going to be right. I don't know if the line's going to be right. Now they've they've lost T.Y. Hilton, so not somebody I was looking to draft, but he's out a few weeks with, with a back neck issue and you know into his 30s. I think he's somebody you just pretty much safely avoid. I don't even think there's any late run upside to him, but if Hilton's going to lose some targets, if this offense can be something we can bank on, you would think Michael Pittman out off an up and down rookie year could be a fun pick. So I'm curious, let's start with the Hilton uh, Hilton news as it reflects the Pitt- Pittman. Nobody wants to draft Hilton now and I get it. I don't think we need to say a lot on that, but I wonder if that makes you like Pittman more. If you trust that we're going to see Wentz on opening day, are you worried about drafting Taylor with the offensive line? A little bit of a question mark. Uh, starting with Pittman, just give me give me the roto pat sense of where the Colts are at right now. I like Pittman a lot, and like, I, it's hard to say like the T.Y. Hilton injury helps him because now like you know the teams are going to be freer to roll defensive coverage to a young player, and who knows if he's developed enough at the NFL level to deal with that. But you, you mentioned the up and down rookie year; there were some downs, but thankfully there were some ups where it was pretty brief. But he did kind of like flash those alpha traits like just enough to like kind of put it the picture in your mind's like, okay, like he actually can like live up to his pre-draft billing at the NFL level. He can definitely provide some like he, he has, he has genuine wide receiver one upside still. And I would have preferred that T Y Hilton had not gotten hurt. Again, just like I said, to kind of occupy that defensive attention, kind of relieve some of the pressure on Michael Pittman. But I did see enough last year where I think it's reasonable where you can consider that in the reasonable range of outcomes for Michael Pittman. And I really like Michael Pittman as like a wide receiver four or someone in kind of like that wide receiver 36 to 42 range, which I think is still about where his ADP is. And I'm still a fan. This doesn't hurt my Michael Pittman love. He was someone I was targeting before the T.Y. Hilton injury. I guess I will say, hopefully the meme that Carson Wentz like doesn't throw to tight ends or to wide receivers isn't true. So we know Carson Wentz was like Mr. Tight end target. And fill it. And but Carson Wentz, man, was this guy born under a bad sign? Like he instantly brought that Eagles uh, injury bad luck to Indianapolis, and just following this guy around. Uh, but it's my very long-winded way of saying I liked Michael Pittman before. I'm a little nervous now because defenses can key in on him more. But I still feel, for better or worse, very bullish on Michael Pittman. What has been your summer stance on Jonathan Taylor? I'm, the summer stance has been like, I think, you know, like this offensive line is going to be healthy enough by week one. We know it's still on paper, one of the league's best offensive lines. 
I talked again about like young players living up to their pre-draft billing. Jonathan Taylor definitely did that in the second half of last season, the kind of guy who could take over games. I think had a 250-yard game, right? Uh, that's what he did at Wisconsin all the time. He's now dem- demonstrated that on NFL film. I mean, I believe Quentin Nelson's supposed to be ready. I know Ryan Kelly, the center, is healthy. I believe Quentin Nelson is going to be ready. Uh, and they need Jonathan Taylor now more than ever. Uh, I, I think the plan was always going to be to go run heavy as they kind of try to, like, ease Carson Wentz back into – I was going to say civilian life. I don't even know what that, that joke is supposed to mean. But whatever was going on, Carson Wentz, try to like, ease him back into being a normal quarterback and not one of the worst players in the league. Uh, anyway, I've, I've decided the Colts offensive line is a variable I'm not worried about. I think they're going to be healthy enough, and they need Jonathan Taylor so badly. I, I have still been drafting Jonathan Taylor. I'll just throw you a little bit of a curveball and ask you, if I gave you a free wager on who wins this division, and I know you're too smart to take the Houston Texans, <laughs> uh, some people think if you can get a price on Jacksonville, that could be a little bit frisky, although I still don't know if Urban Meyer is going to work as an NFL coach. The Titans have a lot of moving parts. They lost their coordinator. But they did bring in Julio Jones. They have a really good quarterback there. Obviously, it's been an unusual summer in Indianapolis. What team would Roto Pat put a chip on? I don't like the lost, the variable of lost Arthur Smith in Tennessee, mm-hmm. but I am still betting on Tennessee because Mike Vrabel, I think, to me, as a, like a defensive-minded head coach, he makes the defense like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Where, like that team shouldn't have made they shouldn't have made the playoffs last year with how little talent they had on defense, and they still whipped it together just enough like they could get into the playoffs. And Arthur Smith, I mean, very few play callers did a better job than he did the past two years. But I mean, they're not going to try to fix what wasn't broken with their offensive approach. It's going to be the same offensive approach. And now with Julio Jones in the mix, I, I just the Titans so much skill player talent, and I think like enough brain power on defense and a defense that should be better. It can't be as bad as it was last year. That I, I will make the safe pick in the Titans. Or I wanted to say the Jaguars. I mean, Urban Meyer is one of the he could go zero and sixteen and still be one of the greatest football minds in American history. But he definitely seems like he's doing this the hard way, and he's not doing it like the humble way. He's doing it like. The Urban Meyer, I've, how I always had success in college way, and just really bad vibes there in Jacksonville this summer. Yeah, I mean, it's just you don't have the most important person in any college program is the coach. And that isn't always necessarily the case at the NFL level where your no. star players may have more, I don't know, just, just more of a hold, more leverage on the franchise. I, although we're not going to do a deep dive on the Jaguars, just because I, I want to transition to Gardner Minshew in a second. Tell me, of the remaining Jaguars, which, of course, do not include Minshew now, I'm curious, who have you been drafting the most? Is there a receiver there you gravitate towards? Are you getting a lot of late Trevor Lawrence? They look pretty good in his final preseason tune-up, I'll mention, from what I saw anyway. Helped by a Dallas defense that had really no interest in playing defense. But whatever, it's nice to see Minshew playing well. Is there a Jacksonville player who's wound up on a bunch of your rosters? I tend to be like a natural contrarian with like the trendy picks, but I can't do that with LaVisca Chenault. I have been getting a lot of LaVisca Chenault read. He just feels like kind of like a perfect Urban Meyer player. And it kind of, it gave me LaVisca Chenault concern when they drafted Travis Etienne. Cause I'm like, well, this guy's going to cut in. It's like those kind of like bread and butter LaVisca Chenault for lack of a better term, like gadget touches. But you know, now that variable's out. Like they, they need LaVisca Chenault badly for a big role in this offense. And he just seems like the kind of player Urban had so much success with both Florida and Ohio state. And, you know, I don't know what's going on with DJ Shark. If all the urban 
talk about DJ Shark was just trying, was this pure motivation and he really likes DJ Shark. But if you take his comments at face value, he doesn't love DJ Shark. And I just feel like LaVisca is in like kind of the right place at the right time. And his ADP, I kind of thought would get maybe more out of control this summer. It's stayed somewhat reasonable. And LaVisca Chanel is a guy that I, I've come away with a lot of shares of this summer. Let me put you on the spot one more time. And you're not allowed, I'm going to say you're not allowed to give an explanation. You just have to give an answer, okay? Urban Meyer, is he urban myth or urban legend? He, I, he urban legend. He's just, uh, I think he's just too smart to not figure out. Maybe he'll get some early season, he'll be humbled a few times. But I think, and to talk about a firewall, having Trevor Lawrence like as your firewall is pretty, like that's going to help Urban through a lot of NFL growing pains. Okay, note, note to the production team, Pat's guaranteeing 12 wins for the Jaguars <laughs> this year. Urban Meyer, coach of the year. <laughs> and, and then Trevor Lawrence will do the double of not just being the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. He'll also be the MVP. This is all going to happen in 2021 uh, while LaVisca Chenault scores 23 touchdowns and wins offensive <laughs> player of the year. So what a year it's going to be. Uh, you, know, you thought that Blake Bortles season was great. Jacksonville, wait till you see 2021. This has all been guaranteed by Roto Pat. I'm reading between the lines here, but that's what I do. You know, my, my guess is one thing. I can see what the bigger picture is. Let's transition to Philly, where Gardner Minshew will now be cashing his checks. Pretty inexpensive trade for the Eagles. So I thought it was, you know, whatever, get a good backup quarterback with a little bit of upside. But I think it's fair to wonder, does this reflect that maybe they're not sold on Jalen Hurts? I'm curious. We're not going to talk really about Minshew, but I'm curious if, if you think Hurts is, is ready to be an NFL quarterback for a full season. Do you like him as a fantasy play? Is there somebody in this offense you've been gravitating towards? I'll, I'll say one thing. I'll give you one very strong takeaway, although it, albeit it's kind of consensus takeaway. Since they kept Zach Ertz and he's on the field a lot, I think Dallas Gardner's ADP, even as it's come down some, I think it's ridiculous. I think he should be like tight end 19. And right now he's like tight end 12. I'm not drafting Dallas Goddard. I'll give you that to start. But give me your check-in on Hertz and the Eagles offense. I agree with your Goddard take, by the way. With the Zach Ertz trade, is this like the longest gestating trade in like professional sports history? Like this guy's been on the trade block for like seriously 18 months. And when it comes to Gardner Minshew, it's so it's hard to say with like a talented young player like Jalen Hurts that like Gardner Minshew like concerns you. It's like in and of itself, the Gardner Minshew acquisition might not have necessarily concerned me, but it is definitely part of a broader pattern with Jalen Hurts, where it seems like they spent all offseason kind of hunting for non-Hurts solutions. I mean, who knows how much of like the Deshaun Watson rumors were just smoke and if there was actually any fire there, but they didn't exactly tamp it down. This seemed like they were looking like maybe not like super seriously, but they never stopped looking for non Hertz solutions. Like a, a young player where like, they're not trying to like build him up in the media. You know, like, we kind of have like nothing to lose, like building a player up. They didn't do that. You know, they talked about basically like, well, we're, you know, we're not, we might not like build every aspect of this offense around Jalen Hurts. You know, there's one point where they said they might not even install like RPOs and they passed up so many opportunities to talk up Jalen Hurts, which again is something that's like absolutely free. Like even if you're not committed to Jalen Hurts, like what do you lose by building up your young quarterback in the media? This had a very strange public attitude the whole time towards Jalen Hurts. And I think so like the Minshew is a one-off. It wouldn't have been concerning, but I think they've acquired Gardner Minshew with like the idea in my like this guy actually could make 2021 20, starts for us, and they just do not seem sold on Jalen Hurts in the slightest. Who in this offense do you see yourself percolating towards, if anybody? Devontae Smith. I am a, a Devontae Smith believer. Where 
just like arriving in the league, it's like, I mean, he could already be one of the best route runners in the entire league. Just seems like, I think he is, I know he's old for a prospect for a rookie, which is, is very telling. That's an important metric, but it's not everything. And I just think he's a special player. And, you know, despite, you know, the quarterback questions, despite, you know, we don't even know how good of a coach Nick Sirianni is going to be. I just think Devontae Smith is like a truly special prospect. And I have found myself drafting him basically all summer and uh, really counting on you, Devontae. Really hope you're a special player. It's always going to look strange to me that Jalen Rager went before Justin Jefferson in last year's draft. I gave him my first annual Nikhil Harry award. The how did this guy go in the first round ahead (laughs) of all these other talented players award? So, you know, um, Rager hasn't picked it up. It's, it's still sitting in my home office. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get that, <laughs> that hardware to him. But any hope that Rager could, you know, second year, new coaching staff, ostensibly a new quarterback, is he a lost cause? Or do you think there's maybe some reason if you can get him as a wide receiver five, wide receiver six, just somebody you stash in your bench and you hope the light bulb goes on? I mean, I, I'm looking at some of these rookies who disappointed us last year. Henry Ruggs in Oakland, or I should say Las Vegas. That still sounds strange to me. Rager comes to mind. I've kind of given up on Harry, who's a, who's a year older than these guys. Uh, can you give me an optimistic tune on Rager? Rager was very physically impressive. I loved his profile coming into the league, but he's one of those guys that are watching him in the league. Uh, so I, I was talking about some rookies earlier in the show that like impressed me. Like, oh, okay, this tra- like this translated. What I read on paper actually translated. Jalen Rager is the kind of guy last year. I'm like, well, why did Jalen Rager just run into the back of his blocker? Uh, you know, he made like a lot of those plays and yeah, it's just, it's just camp reports, but the camp reports have, I think even like Eagles media sometimes like trying to find positive nuggets for Jalen Rager and not really succeeding. Uh, he's an impressive physical talent, lots of positive attributes on paper, but didn't see it on film, so to speak. The, the press doesn't seem to be seeing it this summer. And yeah, I've been having a hard time generating Jalen Rager optimism for myself. Okay, now this is my favorite part of every show where we get to ruin the rest of your drafts, but we get to help our listeners at the same time. Is what we're going to do is we're going to take your notebook and we're going to open it up and all the stuff you have circled, all the stuff you have highlighted, all the stuff that's supposed to be top secret, we're going to give away. Yes, Roto Pat targets and fades. Let's start at the running back position. That's where the cheddar is. Give me, I don't know, two or three running backs who you feel like you like more than the market does right now. I, I, I wish that I could stop talking about this guy because this could be like a brand ruiner, but I, I find myself taking David Montgomery a lot this year. And understandably there's been a fade of his fast finish last year, kind of like baked into his ADP. We know that he's not necessarily the player he was from like one of the softest stretch run schedules you'll ever see. But something I come back to with David Montgomery, like, well, a bad player, wouldn't have taken advantage of that stretch run. So he at least cleared the hurdle of he's good enough to take advantage of good matchups. And like, I'm not scared of Tariq Cohen. For one thing, he's not healthy. But uh, last year before he got hurt, Tariq Cohen, I I think they had quietly kind of like like dialed back his usage a little bit. And Tariq Cohen was like historically inefficient in 2019. He averaged like under six yards per catch. And he was seeing way fewer targets before he got hurt last year. David Montgomery more than proved himself as a pass catching back last year. Damian Williams, you know, now is getting a lot of hype. He's someone the fantasy industry has loved forever. But I think Damian Williams is kind of more about like Ryan Nall than David Montgomery, where the Bears did not have any sort of backup plan on the roster for if David Montgomery got hurt. So I David Montgomery, 
I understand this not taking at face value has finished last year, but the Bears love David Montgomery. Uh, the ADP is just very reasonable for the workload. I still think he's going to be like a 20-touch player, and he's going as like a low-end RB2 a lot of times still. And I just maybe I still don't like love David Montgomery, the player, but I definitely love David Montgomery where he's going in drafts this year. And I do not like saying that because I don't know if I'm sold still fully on David Montgomery, the player, but I've ended up with a lot of David Montgomery this summer. Means you're probably spending too much time with Brad Evans. So let's start with that. <laughs> I know, but it's true. It's I true. agree, though. The projectable volume is certainly gives him a high floor. Give us another running back who uh, you find yourself gravitating towards. I will. Too, I, and I'm saying, I said earlier that I'm mostly going anchor RB, which is true. But I'm going to say another guy kind of outside, like kind of more in the RB2 than RB1 range. But I think Najee Harris is basically like too big to fail uh, for Great. the Steelers, where like, they telegraphed like beginning in January, they were going to draft someone and make them a three down running back. Like that was like one of the steadiest drum beats of the entire off season, like Steelers wanting to revamp their running game. And ideally with like a three down back, they lived up to the telegraphing with the draft pick of Najee Harris been pretty positive media all summer. The three down role seems locked in uh, the ADP uh, is much more reasonable than Clyde Edwards. Hilaire was as a rookie last year, even though I think right off the bat, no one would argue Najee Harris is like in for a bigger role than CEH was as a rookie. And so Najee is another guy where even though you're not getting much of a discount, but I think his ADP is just very, very reasonable. And I've been coming, if I miss out, like a fir- if I go receiver in the first round, I've been happily taking Najee Harris in the second round. Is there, let's try to suss out an affordable running back. I, are you in on, say, Tony Pollard, uh, A.J. Dillon? Who might be somebody, a running back that you like in maybe that round seven to 10 range? I I, I keep saying names. I wish I'm not saying, but I'm starting to, to feel like Sony Michelle is going to be one of my stretch run answers because I think the Rams this view Daryl Henderson solely as a change of pace back. Like Sean McVay's comments all summer hinted at that. Like they just view him as a guy who can't stay healthy. They go out and make the aggressive move for Sony. No one falls for players harder than Sean McVay does. I think like Sony Michelle kind of might just take that early down role in Los Angeles and run with it. And I hate that I'm viewing Sony Michelle as kind of like a bargain pick, but I do like, I, I, I haven't really gotten a grip on what his post trade ADP is, but he would be someone I feel comfortable with in that range. Now let's flip it. Let's go to the red ink. Who are some of the running backs that you say, no, this ADP doesn't make sense. Not on my team. I this one's been hard. I'm feeling kind of kumbaya at running back this year, but I did find it interesting that we went right back to the well with Clyde Edwards, E Lair. And now he's fading a little bit now with the ankle injury, but the chiefs, you know, they had success with the committee again last year he might be typecast as now a guy who just can't like we typecast we, we as like an industry typecast people. Like it was such a small sample size with Clyde Edwards, Elaire at the goal line struggling, but coaching staffs, I feel like typecast even more than like the industry does. And I just don't know how much trust, how much rope he'll get near the goal line. And he wasn't even, he needed to be a special pass catcher to like, have any shot at living up to like the lofty expectation. And he was just, he was only fine as a pass. And you know, Patrick Mahomes is the kind of guy who doesn't need to check down over and over again. And like, while it's like a reasonable, it's a like kind of high end RB two. I was feeling uh, Clyde Edwards, Hilaris is too high again. And as another guy, I just, for the second year in a row, I have not been drafting Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. You know, it's, it's fun that when you get into a draft, a lot of drafts are going to start McCaffrey and then they're going to start cook. 
And then that third pick could be almost anybody. Some people might go Kamara. Some people might go Henry. Some people might go Elliott. Um, although he doesn't fit in the three spot. I seem to like Mick Chubb more than a lot of other people. I've seen Barkley go as high as three, although probably not recently. But you can talk all these guys down too. And, and I'm curious, who is the easiest first-round running back for you to talk down? Is there a first-round running back really? Yeah, I see why he's going in the first round, but I don't think I'm going to take that plunge. I, have for some reason, have found it to be Ezekiel Elliott, which is weird because like, I feel like the volume is so safe with Zeke. But la- I just last year felt like we saw like the classic – running back like career arc problem with Zeke where a guy has been very durable doesn't miss games but he was playing hurt for a lot of last year and it just seemed like the reps had taken a toll on Zeke last year and I know he's reportedly in much better shape this year the Cowboys offensive line in theory can't possibly be as injured as it was last year but still lots of questions with the Cowboys offensive line and it's tough for me because I'm like a safe drafter a lot and Zeke's workload is safe but I just I'm having a difficult time envisioning like that early career upside that Zeke had. And I am I've been letting other people draft Ezekiel. I could be making a big mistake because the volume is so safe uh, on, on paper. It projects as one of the NFL's best offenses. But I've been letting other people take Ezekiel Elliott. Give me a traffic light on Dak Prescott. Is he green light for you, yellow light for you or red light for you? He's He's yellow light. Uh, I'm going to recycle a line I've used in a few other podcasts. So sorry if you've already heard this before, but uh, when the injury went from, you know, okay, he should start, he'll, he'll be back at practice in a day or two to a week later, the Cowboys admitting they're calling the Texas Rangers. I'm like, uh, you know, this went from an injury that was supposedly very minor to now you're calling like a team in a different sport because you don't quite know what to make of it. I, def- I didn't find that red light, but I definitely found that yellow light where like, all right, they're dealing with an injury. They don't even really necessarily know like what the course of action should be. And you know, a guy where we should have been worrying about a very severe lower body injury, like that can't even be your main focus of worry now. Now it's a throwing shoulder. That that was a yellow light for me. But if the ADP gets reasonable, so the ADP's been dropping. Like I can still, I, I don't may I think I don't view like Dak as like a completely safe top five quarterback anymore, but if he falls even just a little bit to six or seven, I think the risk begin, the the reward begins to become worth the risk. Yeah, I think I need the coupon. I mean, from a fan standpoint, I want to see him healthy because there's so much skill talent there. I, mean, I realize what they did last year is not sustainable. The defense can't quite be that bad. They were in a lot of you shootouts. Would <laughs> you would think. But you know, Dak was on pace to have a just a monstrous historic season. It would just be fun to see this offense get four months to spread their wings. I'd like to see it, but I'm not going to pay what the market has asked me to pay. We are running out of time. Just a few minutes left with Patrick Doherty of NBC Sports Edge, our friend Roto Pat on Twitter. Let's get some wide receiver targets from you. Let's, uh, we don't have time for a bunch of them. Let's just get a couple more. So again, use these picks against Patrick. If you're in a draft with him, don't let him get these guys. Uh, who are some of the wide receivers you've been percolating towards this year? Two of the people I've already said. So like beyond the obvious ones, near the top, by the way, I'm, I'm in love with Calvin Ridley. Even though I've seen some people fading him. Uh, in the middle, I've a lot of LaVisca Chenault, a lot of Devontae Smith. My favorite flyer had been Marquez Callaway. I don't know what's going to happen to like his stretch run ADP now with you know the preseason blow up. Uh, now with Jameis being named the starter, so we know like an actual pocket passer is going to be the Saints quarterback. But a guy who showed very well the second half of last season, a guy who generated kind of like endless offseason goodwill, uh, carried it over into training camp and carried it over into the preseason it is such a target's need for the Saints. Um, so I was loving getting Callaway. Well, probably still, even if the ADP increases, getting Callaway. 
Uh, Darnell Mooney, I've seen a lot of smart people fading because, uh, you know, why get the number two option in the Chicago Bears passing offense? But a guy who was already – he commanded so much respect from opposing defenses last year. He was getting so much cushion. He had so many unrealized air yards last year. Just a guy, you know, it was like a day three rookie who, like, forced his way into a role. It was really impressive. I really like Darnell Mooney if he falls in drafts. Uh, so yeah, Marcus Callaway, though, has been the one for me. Right, I have on essentially every team, and I hope his ADP stays reasonable enough that I can keep that up here in the final two weeks. Let's make sure we end on a negative note. Give us one power fade. Give us a, a wide receiver you think is a trap. I, I know this is kind of a taking the cheap way out, but I'm not drafting Michael Thomas because I just don't want to apply injury optimism. I'm nervous about Kenny Galladay transitioning and onboarding in New York where everything's wrong. It, he needs to be a contested catch guy i just don't know how much time he's had to work with daniel jones so again that's kind of low-hanging fruit i took that off the board for you but give us a receiver that you think the adp doesn't justify right now can i cheat and not say a receiver and say a tight end sure absolutely um, i'll say my short answer cheating on this podcast team. cheating is always encouraged i just <laughs> want to make that clear we are we are the spygate patriots we are the bounty hunting greg williams saints here you can do whatever you want I'll give a really quick answer receiver. Well, I say CD lamb. Okay. I feel like it's kind of Calvin Ridley, like redo where like, I feel like we're just a year too early on the CD lamb breakout where I do think he's going to be like a really good, maybe all pro level NFL player, but at least in terms of fantasy production, I just think it's a year too early. Kind of was the case with Calvin Ridley two years ago. Okay. But my main fade is this Kyle Pitts where, so listen, I know he's not an ordinary tight end prospect. I know tight ends don't ever go in the top five, um, but you know, there's been one rookie thousand yard season ever at tight end. Uh, there's been one rookie tight end to reach 800 yards this century. That was uh, Jeremy Shockey in 2002. There's been one rookie tight end to finish as a tight end one the past five years. It was Evan Ingram five years ago. And I feel like the absolute baseline for Kyle Pitts to return on his ADP will be duplicating Evan Ingram's rookie season, which was like 750 yards seven or eight touchdowns and the counter argument to me a lot is well he's not even actually a tight end you know he's, he's more gonna be more of a wide receiver and to me i'm like well so the positive argument for this guy is that he's not actually going to play his listed position like that's just strange to me you know i think of like big wide receivers you know, how did doriel green beckham fare earlier in his career i mean devin funch kyle pitts is a much different athlete than like devin funches or like kelvin benjamin but like you know, big wide receivers don't necessarily hit the ground running in the NFL. Or I just feel like we've given impossible expectations to Kyle Pitts, despite be- clearly being a physical marvel that basically the entire league is in love with. I just think there's just almost no way he lives up to his ADP. Yeah, it's it's the price for me. He needs to be great right away to justify where he's drafted, and that generally isn't going to be the way. I'm afraid that Pitts could hurt me. I'm afraid that the, the Pitts team could get me, and, I, and I'll end up regretting it, but I'm – I haven't considered him since the ADP expects that he's basically going to be a Pro Bowl player right away. I'm just never going to draft that way. We've been spending uh, close to an hour with Patrick Doherty of, of NBC Sports Edge and uh, one of the sharpest minds, one of the just most reasonable level-headed minds in the fantasy industry. Uh, Pat, tell us what you're working on and how our listeners can keep up with you. On Twitter, R-O-T-O, Pat, uh, which I don't love my Twitter handle. I just feel corny saying it, but it's at least memorable at RotoPat. Going to do my final rankings. So, of course, our draft guide where you have my rankings and like the entire NBC Sports Edge's staff's rankings. But I'm going to do like a stretch run final rankings article that will hopefully be on the site in the next day or two. 
just lots of great stuff over to NBC Sports Edge. I'm podcasting with you. I'm podcasting you like three times this week. Uh, and NBC Sports Edge too. Check us out on Cut Down Day, where we're going to be blurbing it up, like like always, getting every cut, every player out there. You know, huge news week. So yeah, we're 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 in like frantic stretch run stretch run mode, and a lot of good stuff in NBC Sports Edge over these next. Is there weeks. a premium product people can check out as well? There is at NBCSportsEdge.com, either slash win or slash draft guide. Uh, we have a very, very affordable premium product. Uh, we have a few different tiers, like a, a $14.99 tier, I believe, a nine. I, sometimes I get the prices mixed up, but we have uh, very affordable, either monthly or yearly packages uh, where you can combine the draft guide. You can combine our season pad. You can buy just the draft guide if you only want the draft guide. Uh, but just get really great premium product stuff at NBCSportsEdge.com slash win. Well, check that out. Winning sounds good to me. So if you, if you want to get the best edge to beat your opponents, I think it's good to check that stuff out. And we know that the the news hub over at NBC Sports Edge is, is just, you know, it's outstanding. You get to hit refresh on that constantly because the most important thing, right? I mean, what did Gordon Gecko say? I think the most important thing to have is information. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And by the way, I like the Gordon Gecko haircut you got. Slick, slicking back a little bit. Look, you're ready to play some <laughs> racquetball with Charlie Sheen. I like it. Um, yeah, I finally got the pandemic where, you know, where every podcast became video. I basically had to start combing my hair. So <laughs> I, I comb and style my hair now. So yeah, well, it took me about 33 years to do it, but I now comb my hair. Well, I can tell you where to get the good golf hats, and uh, that will transition <laughs> you to the next part of your career. Thanks to to Pat for being with us today. Again, doing great work. Check him out at Roto Pat and, and bug him for all your NFL needs. He'll be happy to answer start sick questions any time of the week. Or, you know, he's, he's a father. You need, you need parenting help. You're moving to the Midwest. You need some real estate market information. This guy can help you with everything, maybe even some hair products. And we really appreciate his time today. We all also have a suite of just all really great podcasts over at Yahoo. And I, I want to spotlight the work that we're doing with the College Football Inquirer. College football season has started. So uh, Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our old friend Pat Forty, now with Sports Illustrated, they've been doing their three-man weave for a while cheaping up with the insane world of college football. So I hope you check out the College Football Inquirer. Get it into your podcast lineup today. For Pat, for producer Brett, I am Scott. Follow me at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow the Yahoo handle at Yahoo Fantasy. Andy Barron's will be back tomorrow with a guest I can't even ref- name right now. That's how great this guest is. At 1 o'clock <laughs> Eastern. You can watch, check that out. Barron's is the best of the business, man. So for everybody, for Roto, Pat, for producer Brett, for host Scott. We'll talk to you soon. Go over to Yahoo, check out some leagues, check out some Yahoo Fantasy Plus, get over to NBC Sports Edge, get the latest news, apply it, build your juggernaut. We'll talk to you soon.